We are going to turn in our Bibles again this morning to read the account from Luke 24 of the two men on the road to Emmaus. You can, you can imagine this is the road to Jerusalem, but this is also the road to Emmaus, first of all. So thinking about the story in Luke 24 as the two disciples are going on their way to Emmaus. And last Sunday, we read the first part, the verses 13 to 24. And in that part, we recognize that this was, this is Easter. This is Easter day that we are reading about here. This is the day when the Lord Jesus has risen. And so the account is from that hope, that confidence, that comfort. But to, to receive that, the truth of the risen Lord into our lives is always, always a, a challenge to, to take hold of that faith. And the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were struggling with that. And so we read about the struggle. The, the one thing uh, I just want to mention in the background, verse 16, uh, that as Jesus joined them, we have this, this morning Jesus with, with them. So we had just the two, but now Jesus joins them. And it says in verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. So they, they don't realize that it's Jesus, that it's the risen Lord walking with them. And so they're still wondering, they're still very concerned, and they have told Jesus all kinds of things uh, about what has happened. And so now uh, we pick up the story in verse uh, 25, where they've They've told the whole story and how the women went uh, and the, the body was gone and how some of the disciples went to the tomb. And, and they also found that uh, Jesus' body was gone, but it says in verse 24, they did not see him. And then verse 25, Jesus begins to speak to them and he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And again with Moses and all and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And that's our text, the opening of the scriptures that just amazed them. I also want to just draw your attention to verse 45 as you have your Bibles open there. A little later, Jesus, Jesus meets the disciples, uh, other disciples, and then it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So there's, there's a real sense of, of the scriptures at the center 
of Jesus' ministry to the disciples in this time as the risen Lord. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we are looking along the road. We are going along the road to Emmaus here. And we are going uh, along the road recognizing the reality, as we saw last week, of sorrow. That the journey that is, is marked out here, the journey of life and faith, is, is for them, for us, often a journey marked by sorrow. And that's because we live in this world of, of sin and of sadness. So the reality that, that the journey here too, that we have, starts with sorrow, is, is how we too experience life. Just to touch on verse 16, where it says, as Jesus comes to join them, we have here the picture of Jesus joining them, these people in sorrow. And they're, they're sad about the fact that Jesus also is gone, has died. And so here is Jesus then, appearing to them as the risen Lord, but it says they were kept from recognizing him. Why, why is that? Why were they kept from recognizing him? A couple of explanations come to mind. Uh, maybe Jesus wanted to play a little trick on them. Just kind of have a little fun with them. That's not at all the picture of Jesus we know. Jesus, the compassionate, caring one. Jesus, it says, they were kept from recognizing him. The, the sense of it is, most, most uh, probably, that they kept themselves they kept themselves from recognizing him. They themselves could not recognize him. They were so sad. They were so lost. They had given up so completely. And, and if you recognize just before uh, Jesus speaks to them, then... They, they have said in verse 22 that they had been in Jerusalem. They had heard a story of the women, uh, that the tomb was empty, and that had amazed them, it says. And then apostles had gone and, and checked, and the tomb was empty. And, and that, that was remarkable to them, to these two people. And yet here they still are. That, that didn't give them hope. That didn't, didn't give them confidence. They are walking away from the whole thing. Even though that very morning, they had heard reports that the body was gone and something amazing was going on. It, it, it didn't register with them. They themselves were kept. They kept themselves from believing. Even to the point that, that you can imagine Jesus walking up to them and saying, Hey, I'm alive. It's me, Jesus. And that they wouldn't believe it. We'll come back to that. 
But that's, that's the sense when it says that Jesus came, but they were kept from recognizing him. They were not ready. They were not able. And so Jesus patiently works with them. In compassion, sensing he needs to minister to those who are unable to see and believe until they are ready to see and believe. So that's, that's the sense now of his ministry. And, and what is it that makes them ready to see? How can Jesus make them really see and believe? And, and you wonder, how can he do that? He's not at a loss. He can do that. And so here he takes the very best thing, the same thing we have. He takes the Bible. He simply takes the Bible, the Bible that they knew and understood. In Luke, he he says too, he opened the scriptures to them. And he opened their minds to understand it. Verse 31 verse 32 and verse 45. That, that he opens them to the truth. And so when they respond to, in verse 32, our hearts were burning. There, there was that, that very small flame of faith that was almost out. But by the word that, that's nurtured and, and strengthened and restored until they can see Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior. So that's a great truth and insight that we need to understand from this passage. And we're going to look at that this morning, that the Bible is the gift of God to us to strengthen us in our faith as well and to strengthen others who might be unsure. To open the scriptures and to let Jesus speak into our hearts of faith and love and forgiveness and salvation. And to even let him speak into our hearts the truth that he is the living Lord today. Because sometimes we are walking along in our life wondering, where is he? What's going on? And we walk away. But the word, again, shows him walking with us in our lives. As we read this, as we have our Bibles, we wonder, what exactly did Jesus explain to them? It says, to he, he knew their struggles, and he comes to them. He, he chides them just very gently, how foolish you are, how slow to believe. And then, and then he begins to explain things to them. And we don't know exactly what he said, but we do know, Luke says here in verse 27, and beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Beginning. That's kind of a key word, a code word. That's kind of a, an understanding. When it says here in Luke, Jesus, beginning with, What's, what's the first word of the Old Testament? What does Genesis 1 verse 1 say? In the beginning. Jesus beginning with the beginning spoke to them. So what did he do when he opened the scriptures to them? He began at the beginning of the Old Testament, the Bible that they held. 
And he began to explain to them, God who created all things, a world that had fallen into sin, needed a Savior. That's where he began. And then it adds, with Moses and all the prophets, I'll come back to that again a little later too, but with Moses and all the prophets, and the understanding there in the Old Testament, wherever it mentions the, the Bible as a whole, it's understood as Moses and the prophets, or Moses and the law and the prophets. And that's the whole Old Testament. That's the whole thing. That's not just Moses and Exodus, but that's, that's Genesis through Malachi. So the whole Bible, as they knew it, the Old Testament, is in view. And then it adds that he spoke to them about all the scriptures. All the scriptures that they knew and understood and held to be sacred word of God to them, to these disciples. He took all of it and he spoke about all of it concerning himself. He showed them throughout the precious the powerful word of God that opens hearts to the wonder of what God is doing. That's what he spoke to them about. The very Bible we hold in our hands. What did Jesus point out to them exactly in the scriptures? I, I suggest to you he probably approached it in the three ways that we also approach scripture. First of all, the sense of very specific prophecies. It mentions prophecies. It mentions details. And, and there are many details in the Old Testament. And, and so even as we are people who, who focus in on details, we, we are always uh, interested in the details with this plane that has been disappearing, uh, disappeared and what's happening. And we want to know all the details and we want to try to understand what happened. The details help us. All the little details, the little little phrases, little things. And so as these disciples too, wondering about what God is doing, wondering about why Jesus has disappeared, then Jesus shares with them details. It's suggested that in the Old Testament there are uh, well over 200 specific references to the Messiah and you can, you can get up to 500 people People just look at very specific prophecies, passages. For example, Genesis 3.15, that a Savior would be born. That's the first prophecy of the Savior, Genesis 3.15, that, that the Savior would come and crush the serpent's head. And Matthew 1.20, a Savior will be born to you. This is the one who will crush the serpent's head. We know the prophecies of, of Micah 5, verse 2. Born in Bethlehem, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know the prophecy of Isaiah 7, verse 14. Jesus is born of a virgin, Mary, when she is told that she will be the mother of the Christ child. She says, I am a virgin. When we think about the line of, of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that through him all the nations would be blessed, the Messiah would come. And that when we read the first gospel, Matthew 1 verse 1, the lineage of the Messiah, the Savior, Abraham, was the father of Isaac, was the father of Jacob. The prophecy is fulfilled to Jesus, the Savior. 
That the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, is affirmed in Luke 3. That the Messiah would be heir to the throne of David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And, and Joseph is a descendant of the line of David. And so Jesus would be picking these things out. That the Savior would be called Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, verse 14. In Matthew 1, 23, Jesus will be called, a child will be called Emmanuel. All of these things come to mind as Jesus is explaining to these disciples on the road that there would be a messenger who would prepare the way. And, and these disciples knew John the Baptist. And they knew his ministry. And they would be reminded that there was someone proclaimed to come to prepare the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist did that. And so we can be sure that Jesus was the Messiah. Psalm 2 verse 7 speaks about Jesus as the Son of God. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So that's a prophecy of the Messiah, God speaking of the Messiah. And then at the baptism of Jesus, as John the Baptist was baptizing him, he came up out of the water and a dove came down from heaven and a voice spoke, this is my son. The voice of God from heaven spoke those words about Jesus. We're not exactly sure if Cleopas was there at that time. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't, but he heard about it. He heard about this voice that had proclaimed. And so to remind him again, to remind these disciples, God's word fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus would speak in parables Psalm 78. Oh, Cleopas knew about that. They had said to Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Well, because. Because I'm the Messiah who brings the good news as promised of old. And that the Messiah would be betrayed. Psalm 41, Zechariah 11. Oh, Cleopas knew about that. He knew Judas wasn't with them anymore. He knew something had gone wrong there. And so Jesus... Jesus laid out for him. Even when it says in Isaiah 53, verse 7, we read Isaiah 53 with the Lord's Supper uh, last week, and it, it says there in Isaiah 53 here that uh, the Messiah was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Cleopas must have been wondering. He must have been wondering during the trial when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate was talking to him and saying to him, who are you, and why are you doing it, and why should I let you go? And Jesus didn't say anything. It says in Mark 15 that Jesus, as they accused him of many things, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things you're accused of? But Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. So what was Cleophas is disappointed. These two are disappointed on the road because Jesus didn't just say like he usually did. I mean, he was eloquent. He was brilliant. He could just say to Pilate, this and this and this and this, and you have to let me go. 
said nothing. Why not? Because he was the Messiah. So Jesus had to explain to Cleopas, to the other disciple, this is a sign that I am the Messiah who went willingly to the cross. So you can, you can get a sense as you realize how rich the Bible is, the Old Testament, that Jesus just took his time, explained to them all of these things. His hands and feet were pierced, Psalm 22. The soldiers gambled for his garments, is also Psalm 22. And all of these things, along with the fact, Psalm 16 and 49, that he would rise again. So, so Jesus went through all 200, 300 things, I don't know. But as he went along, and they would know the Old Testament well, and they would recognize who Jesus was, because they had been with him for three years. And they knew his life, his history, his words. And so, verse 27, everything concerning himself, he made known to them. And it was an eye-opening, heart-opening kind of time. Jesus presenting to them a wonderful testimony of who he was. In that sense, too, as we think about it this morning, too, it also encourages us to be reminded of those things when we recognize the place Jesus as the Savior promised of old, our Savior. Secondly, no doubt Jesus added more general truth of the Bible, uh, bigger sections, that he didn't just take individual verses here and there, that he spoke perhaps of the story of Joseph in Genesis, Genesis 37 through 50. He He would be able to make connections to that story, First of all, the name Joseph in Hebrew is the same as Jesus in the Greek. So in the sense, too, it's, it's, it's connected even right there. Joseph, Jesus. Joseph was denied and rejected by his own brothers, just like Jesus was rejected by his own people. And through all of Joseph's suffering, as he was in, in jail, as, as he was for, for yeah, it was, it was very difficult for him in Egypt for a long time. So Jesus suffering in his life. And then out of that, Joseph is raised up to the glorious heights as the ruler of Egypt and the savior of the world. Joseph is the savior of the world. How can he be the savior of the world? Well, the whole world is dying in the famine and He is the one who gives bread. Well, Jesus is the Savior of the world. The whole world is dying in sin, but he is the bread of life. And you also even see the grace of God as Joseph forgives his brothers. And so you have the sense of verse 26, the suffering to glory is the story of God's grace to the world through Joseph and now much more completely God's grace in Jesus. And Jesus could have have just explained that to them, just gone over that with them. Jesus would have 
just beautifully shared God's vision of redemption, of saving the world, already in Joseph, fulfilled in Jesus. Another example would be the story of Moses, the book of Exodus. Moses specifically mentioned here in verse 27, Moses being a special child, a special baby, saved for a redeeming work. Jesus, a special child, born in Bethlehem for that saving work. You have the picture of, of the people in slavery in Egypt. You have the reality of people in slavery to sin. You have Moses leading them out. You have Jesus who comes as the Savior to lead out into the joy of salvation, out of the, the threat of sin and death. So Jesus, Jesus would have just been sharing that truth that his coming his purpose, his place, was that fulfillment. Along the way, he probably would have touched on Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, the people are in great trouble. They are dying due to the poisonous snakes attacking them. And, and, and there is no hope. And then they hear from God, uh, raise up on a pole, on a cross, a bronze snake. And all who look to the one who is raised up, will be saved. Jesus raised on the cross. All who look to him will be saved. All of these things, Jesus would bring that broader view of the larger work of God, pointing to the whole sweep of God's redemptive plan fulfilled in Jesus. Again, their hearts would be opened. They would say, oh, we've, we've never really seen it that way. We've never understood stood it that way, but we see it now. Finally, he would have had opportunity, I'm sure, to touch on the broad sweeping practices that point to himself, the atoning sacrifice. Calvin mentions this as one of, one of the things he, uh, as he comments on this verse, on this passage as, as one of the things he is sure and absolutely that, that Jesus would take that most common Old Testament practice that the law required sacrifice for sin. And the people knew that and they brought sacrifice. They brought lambs and goats and doves and cattle as payment for sin. They knew if they sinned, particular way, there had to be sacrifice to take away the sin to make them right with God again. And they knew that because there was a constant smoke hanging over the city and there was a, a constant smell. You could always have the sin. People were coming daily to bring sacrifice for all the sin. And that culminated in the Old Testament Day of Atonement where uh, on Yom Kippur, one priest... The, the one priest would be purified and in front of all the people would enter the temple to make one sacrifice. So every year they would have this. And, and in the life of Jesus, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is doing that. He is that priest. And he goes into the Holy of Holies to offer the blood to forgive the sins of all the people. And that sacrifice, that sacrifice is in view 
in Jesus. Jesus, the perfect high priest, the truly holy one, offering himself on the cross for our sins. Jesus' death on the cross results in Matthew 27, verse 51, the temple curtain, the curtain that kept the Holy of Holies separate from the rest of the temple is torn in two. And that wasn't just an ordinary curtain. It wasn't just a shower curtain or a piece of cloth. This was 60 feet high. It was 40 feet wide. It was 10 layers thick. It was huge. It kept people away. But in the sacrifice of Jesus, that curtain was torn in two. And Cleopas and the other disciple heard about that. They heard about that. Because it was, it was unbelievable that that curtain in the temple at the death of Jesus was torn in two. What does that mean? It's over. The one sacrifice that pays for the sin of all the people has been made. No other sacrifice is necessary. All you have to do is believe in the one who made that sacrifice, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. So their hearts would be open to the truth. There there has been something going on here, just totally, totally fulfilling God's will, God's purpose. Jesus was the Messiah. And so simply by by opening the word to them, by focusing them on God's truth in the Bible, they believe. Believe to the point that that they are ready to believe and actually see the living Lord Jesus. The application here is, is threefold. First of all, they're their conversation, their understanding of their life and things before Jesus spoke to them was, was a conversation which didn't take into account God's word. They were, they were thinking and reasoning and discussing events without fully understanding things from God's perspective. They were kept from recognizing Jesus, verse 16. They were foolish. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It's written for us to help us in our faith. It speaks into our lives even today when we struggle, when we're uncertain, when we have sorrow, when we have difficulty. And we can talk about difficulties. And we can talk about, oh, medical things. And we can talk about uncertain family things. And and if we don't ever include the Bible and God's will and Jesus' way with us and the truth by the Spirit... We are, we are foolish. The Bible continues to speak into our lives. So, so the application is to let it speak into your life. And the living Lord Jesus will take it and apply it to your heart so you will see his comforting presence. You might be going along in your life thinking, Jesus is not interested in me. Jesus is not caring for me. Jesus is not walking with me. Well, he is. And he wants to speak 
a word of truth, a word of comfort, a word of faith into your life, just as he did for these dear people walking on the road. As you walk on the road, let him speak to you by his word, by his spirit. John Calvin gives a a, a metaphor of it. He gives, I wore my glasses this morning because John Calvin says, if if you are living your life, uh, everything is blurry. And man, you folks are pretty blurry now. I, I wouldn't even, well, I can tell I know where you sit pretty much. But if, if people were, I, I wouldn't be able to pick out right now just exactly who's what. And that, that says Calvin too, if you do not let the word of God give you context, give you purpose, give you understanding of your life, your situation. You're like a person walking around who, who really, really can't see anything. And you are, you are wondering, and you are uncertain, and you are lost, and you are going to hurt yourself. And so he says too, the Bible is, is the glasses. And as we put on the Bible, oh, now it's clear to me. Now I understand better. Maybe not fully in every respect. We are still limited. But that we let God's word shed light on our path, a guiding light to guide our feet. And finally, when Jesus explains all this, he is actually physically with them, but they, they don't see him. And, and it shows that, that faith comes through the word of God. And sometimes, sometimes we wonder too, can't Jesus uh, just show up more physically? Can't he do a miracle for us? And sometimes he does, but, but often he doesn't. And so we can feel the Bible is not nearly enough. But this, this account says to us again, yes, yes, friends, it is. Yes, it is. And I find in ministry too, the more I study, the more I preach, the more I, I, I come fully into God's word, the more I am convinced of all that, that God has said and of all that Jesus is. The Bible is that powerful word of God to us. And it's fundamental to accept the presence of Jesus. And the reason I say that, just to hearken your mind back to this parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells this parable in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, and it's the picture of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man dies and and is in hell and in torment, and Lazarus is in heaven, in Abraham's bosom. And and the rich man calls out to Lazarus and, and to Abraham and says, says, send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them. And then what does, what does Abraham say? He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, that's what Jesus says here in Luke 24. They have Moses and the prophets. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Here is Jesus, risen from the dead, walking with them. He could say, I'm here. Here I am. They would not have been convinced. They would not. You need the word of God. You need the word 
which is the living word of the Lord Jesus, to inspire our hearts to understand fully all that God has done and to be convinced that it's true. So again this morning, be convinced. The word of God is speaking to you on your journey of God's grace and love. Let it speak into your heart in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that points us so clearly to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, came to die for our sins. Lord, we are indeed poor, sinful people. And Lord, we so quickly lose sight of what you have done for us. Lord, may we in this season again be reminded, may you encourage us along our journey. May you enter into also any sorrow we have, any uncertainty, with the comfort and assurance that you are with us, that you walk with us, that you will continue to provide for us each day as we put our hope, our trust, our faith in you. Amen. We're going to respond.